Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, hitting the gym, or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. What's up? It's Clocked In with Jordan Edwards here. Hello, everyone. I'm here and I have a very special guest today. Her name is Cami Bowker. She is the founder of Global Education Philanthropist with a degree from the University of Washington and Stanford with an, ed- with an emphasis on education. Global EP strategically fights human trafficking through education. Welcome, Cami. Thank you for having me. Hi. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here on the Clocked In podcast. So explain to us how you got into anti-human trafficking. Yeah, I got into anti-human trafficking work because um, I'm a teacher at heart. You know, I was a teacher for 13 and a half years, almost 14 years. And I started my organization after a battle of camp- with cancer. Um, cancer teaches you lots of things in life. It teaches you that your time here could be temporary. And after I had cancer, I realized that I wanted to do more. And so I started my organization with the thought that I would just bring Uh, supplies and resources to communities throughout the world that didn't have what I knew we had here in America. And so I went to the country of Haiti. And the first place that I went to was the largest orphanage in the country. And I went to their school and I said, I'm a teacher from the States. How can I help you educate these kids um, better? I can bring in teachers. I can write, you know, bring in curriculum writers. And I really started to dive in and understand and visit a lot of times a year. I went to Haiti a lot to learn what the need was. But what was so shocking to me was the orphanage that I went to for the first, you know, the first trip there were most of the kids there had been victims of human trafficking. So I went there thinking I was going to get them resources, but then I started to know and love them and understand that their stories were way more tragic than it even looked on the surface. So I've been on about a four year research project of this global. It, it is a worse epidemic and pandemic than we're seeing now. Um, it's the fastest growing enterprise in the world. Um, so I've been on a research, you know, project of this monster after I got to know these kids in Haiti. Some of them had been trafficked from the Dominican Republic and brought over to Haiti. So I went to areas where I, I knew that they had been trafficked from in the Dominican Republic. And I started researching what was happening. What were the traffickers doing? What were the networks doing? How were they getting help? Why did they go back? So Um, I did work in the Caribbean and then now I work in the States as well. Um, But what I've learned over my research over the last few years is that human trafficking isn't some, something that happens in a far distant, far away place. It's happening here in the United States and it's almost worse here 
in America than it is in Dominican Republic or Haiti or Africa. It is just as bad here in the States. Yeah, Cami. And when I had you uh, for the podcast and some of my research, I started to look up this stuff. And I recommend all the listeners to just look up human trafficking in the U.S. And you are going to be very concerned with the numbers because this is not a little issue. It's a very large issue. And to blow you guys away with a fact, it's four out of 100 children in Florida. And that's where I was living for the past six years. So, and I didn't even realize this. So this is something of a big magnitude and very important. Yeah. I mean, it is, like I was saying, it's the fastest growing enterprise um, on the planet. So people are like, I don't understand. You know, sometimes they hear numbers that seem startling or alarming and they just kind of, this cognitive dissonance happens where your brain goes, this can't be really happening in my community. So they distance themselves from it. But if you look, if you can look at it from a lens of, Wherever there's drug trafficking, there's human trafficking. So most of us can wrap our brain around the fact that there's probably drugs happening in different neighborhoods, right? But they don't understand that there's also human trafficking happening in every neighborhood. Um, If you look at it through a global eye, there's really dangerous terrorist networks that are funded by human trafficking, gun trafficking, weapon trafficking. So if you start to understand and do your research, you realize that the threat to our family is real. The threat to our communities are real. And if we don't do something about it, either someone we know or someone we, you know, love could be affected by human trafficking. Yeah. So, so let's dive into that. How do people learn, not learn about human trafficking, but how do I know what's happening here and how are they doing it in the U.S.? Yeah. So if you know, you don't want to take my word from it, you can go to your local law, your local law enforcement, you know, police department and say, I want to talk to your um, human trafficking officers. Most of them have a department that's strictly over human trafficking. Um, And they'll have an FBI agent or two in your area that will give you current statistics, current numbers. Um, They will give you that information. So if you were to talk to your local law enforcement, you would understand that it's happening. What it looks like in America, um, people ask me sometimes like, okay, well, fine. What does it look like here in just a random rural town? Well, I tell people it looks like your child sitting next to you on the couch Playing, or your grandchild or niece and nephew playing on an iPad and you not knowing who is on the other side of that screen. It looks like your teenage kids playing Fortnite for hours on end. That's how the grooming process starts. Now, COVID has stopped a lot of our lives, so COVID-19, right? But it hasn't stopped the traffickers. And these children that get into these dangerous trafficking networks um, are missing children, right? They go missing when they get taken. And 80% of the kids that go missing are first groomed online. So what it looks like is it looks like us not talking about it. It looks like us not doing our research. And yeah, it is terrible. It is not fun to talk about. It's the darkest part of our society. No one wants to think about it. But knowing that it's the fastest growing enterprise, knowing that it's funded, um, it funds terrorist networks, you can understand that like the technology that these um, networks that are very dangerous have are way more sophisticated than our privacy settings that Instagram or Facebook or a game can offer. You know, when you um, start to do more research, like you've probably done, um, you say, okay, well, there's more slaves today in the United States than there was when Lincoln fought to abolish slavery. You look and go, okay, well, a trafficker can make a million dollars on a child. Um, At any given time, there's 500,000 predators trying to get to your kids and their computer are on their games. So it's not just somebody locally trying to get at your child. They're getting groomed 
from so many, di- or attempted to be groomed from so many different ways. Once you start to know more, then people can do more. And so that's why Global Education Philanthropist focuses on education because they found that the average victim goes returns to their trafficker seven to 15 times. So if we can prevent these kids from going missing, from having interactions online that they, um, that they can be in danger with, right? Because most of the time they don't know it's real. There's, you know, we do a good job protecting them, but then they end up talking to dangerous people on Snapchat on. um, So this week I was talking to this gal that works for the FBI and I said, what's the most current um, game this week? She said, Minecraft. Minecraft has these sex mod rooms where they're starting to groom the kids. So the tactics of the traffickers are changing. But when people don't know that it's even real, they won't even go to to talk to their kids about, you know, not having an Instagram account or a Facebook account. So the, the unlimited hours online for our kids right now with just completely online school and stuff is opening them up to way more um, of a possibility of being trafficked than previously before COVID. Yeah. It it genuinely sat like, that seven to 15 touch points, that sounds like a sales process. And that's what these guys are doing for the children. And the kids don't know. And if the parents aren't coming in and the parents have to be very active in the kid's life for this, not to really make the change that we're looking to make. Yeah, exactly. I see like people posting online, like they want to fight against human trafficking, but then they don't actually want to do something. So lately I've been like, okay, great. But now that you know more, you need to do more. You need to talk to your children. Who cares if they're mad at you? I mean, I grew up in an era where it's like my parents had me scared if I swam 30 minutes after I ate. Like I, <laughs> being scared is how we did stuff. Like we didn't swallow toothpaste because we thought we'd die. All this stuff. It's okay to scare your kids. Like you need not maybe too much information, but parents need to still be parents and step up and say, I'm sorry, I pay for your cell phone. Who's on the other line on the other end of that? Who's on the other people don't understand the root of this, of the root of this problem is pornography. And so if you can block the kids from getting access to constant pornography or getting into, you know, into illicit behaviors, most of the times, you know, we go look for these missing children and the parents had no idea that the kids have been looking at porn, have been involved in porn, had uploaded their videos to Pornhub, had been, you mean, the ways that the kids can get trafficked and groomed now is incredible. It can go any, so I'll give you an example. So global education philanthropist works to strategically fight human trafficking through education, right? We have a partner adaptive ops. They do the tactical side. So they organize the search of missing kids. They organize the extractions and then global education philanthropist helps prevent. And then after the extraction process happens, we help get the child and their family resources that they need to recover. Because it's a lifelong recovery process. So just recently, we were um, out of, I live in um, Utah, and it was a missing girl that was out of state. And we were looking at the evidence laid out in front of us, and we could see how the girl had been talking to someone on Roblox when she was 13. And we looked at these messages and things that she thought was long deleted on Snapchat. All of this stuff people think is deleted. It really never is if you have the right resources to access evidence. So we're looking at all of it laid out and you could see how she thought it was a kid she was talking to on Roblox and innocently started this interaction, but it wasn't a child. It was an old man. And then the the conversations got really, really illicit. And then she started enjoying that response to, um, he asked her to send her a photo and then she started like enjoying that approval from the photo. Right. And then it got worse and worse and worse where eventually 
a couple years later. Her parents didn't even know that these conversations had been taking place. And she was getting trafficked on live stream while her mom was like making dinner in the kitchen. She was in her bedroom getting trafficked off of live stream in the same house. So, so the threat and the technology that's out there right now, families need to understand that you have to go out there and unfortunately research this terrible monster and start to talk about it in your family. And, and you mentioned trafficked over live stream. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So I don't know if you know this, but any, a couple, a couple things, um, any person can upload a video to Pornhub or sites like that. So there's a lot of underage or, or children that are uploading their own photo videos. Um, not, not to mention the fact that a lot of the videos on Pornhub are also just rape um, videos. Um, so there's that piece, but also there's the dark web and there's other live auction sites where people are buying, um, video sex with minors. So we could see this process happening. She was being threatened if she didn't upload her video or didn't go onto live stream that her family would be in um, physical danger. Oh, wow. So she was forced, you know, forced to do it to protect her family. So the, um, you know, people think of trafficking like the movie Taken, which, yes, that does happen. And um, it does happen a lot. But also now, as the technology is moving and changing, the tactics of these traffickers are moving and changing. When you understand how much money is at stake, the, their uh, tactics are very, very sophisticated. Some of them are. So, yeah. That's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Right. And you mentioned that you guys have, you have the education arm and then you have the tactical arm. Yes. What are you guys doing tactically? Yeah. So um, the group that runs that is our sister company and it's Adaptive Ops. And he focuses on finding missing kids and reuniting families. Because uh, what we found, the research has found is um, like I was saying in the, in the beginning is that the average, you know, victim goes back so many times. Um, but so just funding rescues alone by itself independently they need to get saved for sure. But it only helps for a minute because law enforcement's probably already been in there a couple of times to these areas where these kids are being held and trafficked. So adaptive ops goes in, they go into the darkest parts of our society. Um, I was with them last two nights ago in the Las Vegas tunnels. Um, they go and they find um, the missing kids and they collect evidence so that they can get prosecution. The, the Johns, the guys buying the sex with these kids and women and boys and men are, um, there's no, a lot of times there's not a lot of prosecution for them. Um, so what's, what adaptive ops does that's amazing is they are, they stay vigilant in keeping communities safe and looking for the missing kids and reuniting them with their families. So they do work domestically and internationally, but that's, that's what we're doing mostly, um, tactically right now. And then training, um, people that are ex- military, special forces to join our teams because we are looking to build an army of educated citizens that can fight for their own kids' rights. But also, you know, there's so many military, ex-military men and women out there that have phenomenal skills that they're not able to use. And so since it's the fastest growing crime in the you know, world right now, we need everybody's help. So um, adaptive ops screens, um, possibly qualified tactical operators and uses them where we can in different states. Yeah. And what, what states are you targeting? You know, you noted the Las Vegas tunnels. I, I've never heard of the Las Vegas tunnels. So yeah, many people haven't. Um, 
there's many cities that have a full network of tunnels underneath them. Um, okay. It's just like, for example, underneath the Las Vegas, underneath Las Vegas, there's 400 miles of tunnels. Oh, wow. Yeah. So a lot of times in the desert, they're originally made for flash flooding and things like that. Um, but it's a pretty intricate network of just tunnels where, you know, anything can happen down there and it does, but we work, um, throughout the country before I became a sister partner with adaptive ops. I personally used to go, um, with a survivor leader, um, and extract girls out of, um, from San Diego twice a month. And we would go help them get a ride out and we would just go right to where, so this specific survivor was trafficked in San Diego for 23 years and she goes right back into where she was. And I, it was her and I, and we would go in and pull these, these girls out and get them to safety and get them to a safe place. And then by the grace of God, he put adaptive ops into my life. And now we're sister companies and he's amazing. And there's a proper way to do it. <laughs> but what we were doing before is we would just um, go out to where we know they were at and bring them outreach and let them know to call us when they get to a phone and we give them a ride out. So it was a different extraction than like a kick in the door with law enforcement. It was call us, we'll be your right out. And then you help get the girls to a safe place that's far, far away from their traffickers, states and states away, which is why it's important to build an army. Because when you have somebody that needs resources, but they need to be far away from where the trauma happened, it's nice to know that there's resources on the other side of the country that they can have access to. Wow, that, that's, that's truly amazing work. Cammie, I, I know everyone's grateful for what you're doing. Oh, thanks. There's a lot of, there's a lot of hands needed. You can never have too many people in this fight. Definitely. And I just wanted to, so you, you got, so adaptive ops is doing the kick-ins and that kind of stuff. Um, in conjunction with law enforcement. So okay. they're very, very um, safe as far as making sure that, laws are obeyed because in America we have a lot of um, liability, right? And so they work really, really closely with law enforcement um, investigators and things like that so that they can get um, the investigations underway and get that process taken care of in the United States. So yeah, they do the tactical side. And then like, for example, that girl I was just explaining um, when she was rescued and her trafficker was incarcerated, then here she is, right? This sweet girl came from a regular American family. Now what? She's supposed to go from this trafficking life to just go load the dishwasher and be with your family again? No. They need inpatient. They need outpatient. They need vocational trades. They need to be able to finish school. They need to be able to get off of drugs because most times they've been heavily drugged against their will. They need so many resources. So then global education philanthropists make sure that the families and the victims get what they need. So they don't, they're not tempted to go back to their, to their abuser. Oh, that's very interesting. So it's kind of like a rehab as for the victims. Yeah. So we've noticed um, our process is what we've designed is we've noticed just out of a lack of need, right? Like of, out of need. And so as we've seen that these survivors that get out, they don't have resources that they need. So we help provide the resources to a trusted aftercare center. Oh, that's amazing. And are those all over the country or there's only one? All over the country. Yep. All over the country. And um, each victim is different. Each situation is different. Um, So we have a multitude of aftercare centers. We have scholarship programs so that the kids can get to where they need to go without the family having to worry about it. And then if they make it through that, um, we have higher education scholarships to keep them through 
um, vocational trades. It's great. And, and how are, I'm curious, how are most of the parents when, yeah. you, when you bring them back slash during the situation when they're gone? I feel like they're terrified. That's a really good question. Um, they're demolished. I mean, could you imagine your kid goes missing? You not sure what happened to them. You have possibly, they have siblings that were worried about them. And so the family too, they need resources as well. Some families deal with it very privately. Some families deal with it openly and try to share the stories to help others. So same thing with survivors. I have some survivors. Um, so being tactically trained, I also take a really, really, um, I, it's really close to my heart to protect them once they get out and stay protecting them. So a lot of the survivors that I protect, some of them um, really will get on Instagram and Facebook and share their stories and others refuse. So every family's different. Every victim's different. And how they decide to heal is different. But you can imagine the lifelong trauma um, healing. It's a lifelong process. And people don't understand that. It's, I mean, my girlfriend that I go to San Diego with, she's been out for 20 years. And it's still a daily struggle. Yeah, it's, there's no way that that's comprehensible to anybody through any abuse in any way. Yeah, I mean, some of these victims are raped, you know, 30, 40, 50 times a day. I mean, you can't go from that and maybe being able to eat once a day and not have traumas. And so I noticed that there were so many survivors in Haiti, Dominican Republic, Costa Rica, Belize, America, similar stories kept repeating. And so we started programs that we realized would help, you know, this problem that kept repeating. So the post-survivor um, care is, is what Global Education Philanthropist does. But it makes me want to prevent it and raise awareness more because the more you see, the more you realize the same stories repeat themselves, pretty similar stories. It's because they didn't know it was real, so they engage in conversations or illicit behavior, and then their lives and their families are forever, ever changed. So some people are afraid to talk about it, but it would sure be a heck of a lot easier to talk about it and have these crucial conversations than it would be to find yourself looking for a missing child. Yeah. And is this happening in all neighborhoods? Like lower, does income level matter? Yeah, no, that's a good question. There's no like socioeconomic biases whatsoever. You know, some people think, oh my gosh, it's Hollywood elite. Or it's just like this really like poverty stricken areas. There's no um, bias. We found it in all, all socioeconomic classes. So, you know, um, again, the root, issue is in pornography. And so if you can imagine the consumption of pornography happening across the board, it's the same thing. There's no um, bias. If you think about what demographic plays on Fortnite or Minecraft or Facebook, it it's everywhere. And those people that are buying sex with kids, same thing. It doesn't um, discriminate just to one socioeconomic level. Unfortunately, we can't just own in. So, Back to the what you were saying. So a girl or a guy, I guess, can be having sex 30, 40, 50 times a day. Does that mean 50 different people are paying? Like, how does that? Yes. Yeah. So you'll have a victim that would be handcuffed to a bed. I mean, I know it sounds kind of, you know, graphic. But, um, and then, you know, 30, 40 different, if it's a female, men are coming into that room every single day. And at that point, um, the victims have been so incredibly um, abused and drugged and they're branded to their trafficker. 
and they're convinced that this is their life now kind of thing. And it just, to some extent they're, they have to become really good business owners. So I know a few um, survivors that even when they were um, in the trafficking life, they were forced to open up what would look like online, like a um, Etsy shop or an online store. So when these men, I mean, I'm going to say men, it's not only men and it's not only girls, but, but when customers would come, they would be able to use their debit card on like an Etsy shop showing that they paid for an item on an Etsy store or a different online platform. Um, instead of, hi, I paid, you know, $20 to a prostitute, which is an, really not a prostitute. It's really like a 10 year old girl or something. Um, so they were forced from a very young age to create an online store and run a business. It was literally a matter of life or death. And so that's another tactic they don't realize happens on the inside of it. Um, so that customers can, can pay. Um, and then they don't ever get any of the money, but yeah, there's 30 to 40 times a day. I mean, I've heard, definitely heard more, but if you can imagine the trauma with these poor, um, girls and boys that are stuck and then once in a while, you know, the police come and bust down the door and arrest everybody. Right. When that happens, um, recently some laws have changed, but before a few years ago, and then way before that, Everybody would get arrested, and then even the young kids that are being held against their will, they go to juvenile detention, which is like, okay, great, that'll separate everyone. But then they would get charged with um, a sex offender status for 99 years. So they're considered a prostitute. You said the children? Yes. Yes. So I know survivors that have sex offender status because they've been arrested so many times because they're being held there and being raped. And then they're being called prostitutes when they're 13 or 12. Like really, any you know, nobody really wants to do that. So the laws are broken. Some of them are getting changed. Um, the goal for Global Education Philanthropist is, collect sto- is to collect stories and help influence global policy change so that there can be prosecution, so that there can be systems in place to help protect these kids and help protect and mandate educational initiatives. Because there are some initiatives out there right now. You know, at the state level and the federal level, they're saying the Curriculums have to go into the schools. There's some hotels that have some great um, anti-human trafficking training for their employees, but nobody's monitoring if it's being administered. And so I just really, really hope that as we push education initiatives, we can influence global policy change. Yeah, for sure. And I heard about that on Wayfair as well. It's it's yeah. a very concerning area. And so, so the next question, why is the news not covering this? You know, I I wish I had an answer for that. I truly believe that um, the corruption is pretty, pretty invasive. I mean, I believe that the corruption goes all the way to the Supreme Court in one way or another. And the media doesn't cover, you know, in in my state, I don't, don't ever hear of human trafficking arrests, you know, and I know that there's prominent members of the community that have been busted for human trafficking are buying sex with minors in our town. And so the answer would, to that would just be, I believe that the corruption is everywhere. Yeah, definitely. But what, oh, so it's going on on all levels, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. So they're not bringing awareness to it because they're participants. That's terrible. Yeah, that's my own philosophy. Yeah. You know, agree or not agree, but that's my own thoughts on that. Yeah, so... Wow. And then once you protect them and they come home safe and you're helping them. So you guys are doing the whole process. Right. That's the reason that we 
partnered up with Adaptive Ops is so that we could we could help with the whole entire array of the issue, the whole array. So we sometimes use the acronym PEARL um, because I look at the victims and I think they're, they've been through literal hell, right? But they're still beautiful. And so to describe our process, I came up with the acronym PEARL. So we do prevention, extraction support, advocacy, reintegration, and then lead and teach them to become leaders. So there is a full spectrum of, of the, the fight is really complicated and complex. So anyone that says, oh, it's just rescues or it's just awareness, it's so much more. And so that's why we came up with the, um, the sister partnership between Global EP and Adaptive Ops so that we can address the whole issue. And is there anyone doing anything similar to this? No, not that I found, no. Um, unfortunately, it's interesting because me and Adaptive Ops were both federal 501c3s, but it is kind of hard to find a lot of nonprofit organizations that will collaborate really well with other organizations. So we love to collaborate with aftercare centers or other um, nonprofits. And we just figured that, yeah, you know what? Nobody is doing what we're doing. No one's doing extractions in the United States and making sure that they get resources for the duration. So that's kind of why we need more help. Definitely. And, and how can people help you? Yeah. So people can help. I mean, not everybody can, you know, be a door kicker, um, but people can be an advocate in their own community. You know, go to globalep.org. Um, if you are like, okay, I want to be an, a door kicker, go to adaptiveops.org or projectpearl.org. Projectpearl.org has a complete educational toolbox. It's just a tool key kit, and you can apply to be an advocate where you can take um, information that we've downloaded from Homeland Security site, or you could go to Homeland Security site yourself. Um, and relevant links, um, things that will help people truly have resources in their hand and go do your own public speaking events. I don't care if I talk about it or you just, people just need to get out there and talk about it. And then project.org also has the first stop, like a family audit. How are you doing in your household? So go to projectpearl.org and you'll register and it will give you a whole slew, a toolkit of how you can help. And um, we constantly collect outreach for the victims when they get extracted. So we always need people to do rescue packs and that's on our website at globalep.org. But so people can do anything from volunteer or they can travel internationally with me, go come with me to Haiti to these orphanages and help teach them self-reliance principles. So then you go to expeditionglobal.com and then you can come on a trip with us. I'm just wanting people to now that they know more to do more and hopefully with the project Pearl toolkit, you'll have tools um, at your fingertips, that will give you links you need to have, websites you need to visit, educational resources, you know, more information than you'll know what to do with, but it'll be a good start. Yeah, and Cammie, that's, that's the best part because it, you realize the issue, you're showing, you're educating first, and then you go, okay, education's good and that's preventative, but we need to take action. And I love that, that you're bringing that all around. And Cammie identifies the philanthropy pillar that, of Edwards Consulting because it's mental health, physical health, community service, philanthropy, family, friends, and spirituality. And there's not that many people that are doing philanthropy like you are. So yeah, I commend thank you, you so much. And I, I do think it is amazing what you are doing. And let me see. I definitely have one more question. Do you have any stories that would – essentially, it's a story that would – convince someone that they have to do something now if they haven't heard something already yeah um i think about the first so my first um exposure to human trafficking was seeing a group of 
about 200 kids that had been victims of human trafficking. And that shattered my soul. It really just shook me up. But then after I saw that orphanage, I went to a different area of the country in Haiti. And the youngest victim I saw, we brought doctors and nurses there, was two years old. This two-year-old was so malnourished, she looked like what might look like a six-month-old baby in the United States. She had been severely raped, very, very sick. And if you don't understand that this evil has no age bias, these traffickers will rape babies and children, then you need to understand the, you need to understand the threat. Like This is such a dark evil that we have to protect our communities, even if you're not a parent. Just start talking, just start learning because the threat of this Satan is just, I'm sorry, I believe it's Satan that is doing some of his best work right now. And out there in the world, I believe that it's just broken sons and daughters of God, breaking other sons and daughters of God. And we need to just help each other. I understand that people have their stories, no matter where they came from, even if it was the trafficker, they're all born into this world with perfect light and something along the way happened, but we have to talk about it with our, with our families. So seeing a two-year-old that had been completely raped and very, very sick, barely hanging on by a thread for her little life, and being able to help her and her mom get away from the dangerous trafficking networks to a malnutrition clinic, and still making sure that they're away from those um, dangerous traffickers to this day, that is the story that haunts my nightmares. Um, unfortunately, I've seen that repeat itself in the United States, but the youngest victim that I've seen in the United States is six months old. So the absolute sickness of some of um, the pedophiles that will buy sex with children, it's just absolutely mind-blowing. And also, the threat besides sex trafficking is actually organ harvesting. So what's happening with, these, with the trafficking networks is they will make about 250000 a year on average trafficking a child for sex. That many times a day. They make about two fifty a year. Then when they're pretty used up, they start to sell them for their organs. And that's where the million dollars kind of adds up. It's a really rough estimate. The average lifespan of them living in, in trafficking is only three to seven years. So the real threat is organ harvesting. So if you can start to understand that organ harvesting is the threat, you can start to realize that child sex trafficking is probably happening because the darkness of organ harvesting is way darker than that. Yeah, thank you for that because it really opens up. I hope it opens up some of the eyes of the listeners. And Cami, so the best way to find you is globalep.com. Dot org. Um, Dot org. And then also people are like, okay, well, maybe I can't kick indoors. Maybe I can't go be public speaker or travel or collect stuff. Just going onto our Facebook and Instagram and sharing our message is amazing because guess what? These kids don't know it's real. And I try to update with relevant information and real life stories of what's going on. So we're, our name is really long. I understand that. Global Education Philanthropists on Instagram and Facebook, just liking and sharing our posts, that's actually huge because it could, it could connect to someone that isn't sure if it's real or not. Definitely. And I, and I hope everyone does. I'm about to go do that as well. Thank you. And Cammie, thank you. This has been such a pleasure. You really just, you opened my eyes a lot more and I think you're going to open the listeners a lot more as well. Good. I hope so. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, 
We'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.